Hi, listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by Dougie Center, the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. Today, we're bringing you part two in our three-part series on grief and money. Because we value talking about what so many don't want to or don't know how to talk about, money seemed like the perfect one to weave into a show all about grief. In part one, we talked with Rob Pardee about how his wife Desiree's years of living with cancer led to significant medical bills, and how after she died, he reevaluated both his relationship with money and his sense of purpose in the world. Today, we talk with Jessica, whose parents died just three months apart back in 2019. While this is a story of a youngest daughter taking on financial responsibilities and figuring out all the red tape left behind when someone dies, it's also the story of a daughter reeling from the shock of grief. The shock of traveling between California, where she was her mother's full-time caregiver, to Columbia to navigate a confusing healthcare system and attend to her father's declining health. The shock of losing both parents with barely time to breathe in between. And then less than a year later, being hit with a global pandemic. It's the story of living out a mother's dream for her daughters to be educated, and how the injustice of her parents dying when she was so young led Jessica to start law school. In the end, this is also a story of the power of making space for grief and finding community along the way. This Grief and Money series is sponsored by Inroads Credit Union. Inroads is here for you. Visit inroadscu.org to learn more. Okay, here's my conversation with Jessica. Jessica, thank you so much for making time in your schedule to be part of Grief Out Loud today. Thank you for having me. Can you start? Just tell us a little bit about your parents. What were they like? So my parents immigrated here from Colombia before I was born. My oldest sister was born in Colombia. My other sister and myself, we were born here. And um, they grew up in a really small part of Colombia called Veles. It's like a tiny, tiny little village. And they're really different. My dad dropped out of school around the eighth grade equivalent over there. And he traveled a bunch around Colombia and worked a bunch of odd jobs. And then he... Um, was a big adventurer and he wanted to come to the U.S. And at that time, it was a lot easier to get a visa. So he came here and he didn't actually know my mom. He was a lot older than her. He was like 15 years older than her. And my mom had a very different life trajectory. Um, She was growing up on a ranch, super smart. And she went to medical school in Columbia. Um, But through a series of uh, coincidences, um, when my dad went back to visit family in Veles, he saw her because she was in a parade and she was um, like Miss Veles or something. And um, he he wrote to one of the schools, but he didn't know which one that she went to just 
saying that he saw her and he thought she was beautiful. And then one of the professors, um, he sent it to the wrong school. He'd heard that she was in medical school, but he didn't know which one. Um, so he just kind of sent a letter. And one of the professors at the school saw that there was this letter for a student, but there was no student by that name. And he kept it for a year. Just by chance, my mom met this professor and, and he said, I have a letter for you. And then he gave it to her and she started writing to my dad and they wrote back and forth for uh, about like two, two or three years. And then they decided to get married, even though they'd really just had a letter correspondence. And she unfortunately dropped out of medical school to do that. Um, she was only like a year shy, which was something that really haunted her throughout her life. But she dropped out and then she moved to the U.S., they were here for decades, but then um, my dad, even though it was his idea to move here, never really got used to life in the U.S. And um, he wanted to go back and my mom didn't. And so but um, around the time I was three, my dad moved back to Columbia where he lived out the rest of his life. And my mom stayed in California and raised us. That's an amazing story that sounds like maybe from a century ago, you know, <laughs> yeah, social media and like sending a letter <laughs> via horse, you know, to the other side of the country. And that's just like, that's an amazing story. <laughs> I know my mom would always say that it felt like, you know, she was raised in a completely different time from us. Um, just like the contrast, especially like where she lived in the country, it was even like in the countryside. So it was, um, yeah, it was a completely different life experience. I loved hearing those stories when I was growing up. And I mean, I know you, sounds like you mostly grew up with your mom here in the U.S. and your dad was back in Colombia. And how do you see yourself like your parents or each one of your parents? And how do you see yourself as different from them? Yeah, that's a good question. My, um, I see a lot of myself, my personality traits are similar to my dad, which is interesting because I didn't grow up with him. Um, but he dropped out of school, but he was a voracious reader. He read more than anyone I've ever met. He would have a stack of books next to his hammock and just smoke a bunch of cigars, which he really shouldn't have been smoking those cigars. But he would, um, yeah, he was just, he was constantly reading. And I got that from him. I also uh, was a voracious reader, much more so before school. Now I just read what I have to, sadly. But um, yeah, it's I see that. And he would be very, um, very social and charismatic and a great storyteller, but then he would need to, he's very introverted and he would need to um, kind of go and decompress. And I'm kind of like that too. I do like to be around people and I love like storytelling. Also, it's a big thing in my family is storytelling. We do a lot of like oral storytelling. Um, and I, I see that in myself and I also feel that need to recharge versus my mom was much more extroverted and she never needed to recharge. She always liked being around people and she's really, she's had a very science oriented brain. She loved botany um, and she loved uh, geology and um, she, and the thing that I really got from her was just this love of the natural world. My mom's a huge hiker and camper and traveler too. Um, my mom, we never had very much money growing up. Uh, we never had like like we always had a broken down car, didn't have cable, had like a two bedroom house with like seven people in it. Um, but my mom would save up every penny and we would go on these trips. So even though I was driving, like I was getting dropped off to school in a really beat up car, um, I would have, when we talked about what we did over the summer in elementary school, I went to France and I went to Spain and I went to Switzerland. And people were like, how are you doing that? You have, <laughs> like, you're wearing hand-me-down clothes. And like, um, but that's because that's what my mom prioritized. And I had really, I mean, it was just me and her mostly at that point, my dad had moved back to Colombia, but I would see him 
quite a lot. I would go to Columbia every, um, like once a year and stay there for like a month or two, uh, to visit him. So yeah, I see a lot of like, both of my parents have that kind of like adventure spirit and I've done a lot of backpacking and traveling, uh, in my life. And I attribute a lot of that sense of, of wanting to explore from them. And as you were talking to, it was seeming like, you know, your mom was really into adventures of the physical, like travel and new experiences, and that your dad with his love of reading, like adventures of the mind. Yeah, I love that. That's a really good way to put that. And then, you know, your parents died in such a short period of time, just three months apart back in 2019. And how do you describe that time? Yeah, that was... Uh, it was such a, a whirlwind um, and so, so unbelievable. Even now, I think I'm still in shock, even though it's been, um, that happened in 2019. It's just so shocking because it just happened so fast. Um, my parents were a lot older by the time they had me. My mom was 38 and my dad was 15 years older. I can't do that math right now. Um, <laughs> but they were a lot older in my, and I have two older sisters um, that are a lot older than me too. They're 14 and 11 years older than me. My mom was, had no real health problems. That was the thing that was the most unexpected. My dad um, never really took care of himself and he smoked a lot. And so like he, um, he was diabetic and um, we started to see early signs of Alzheimer's. And so that was really for a couple of years, I was having to go and, and try to take care of him. But my mom was so unexpected. And the thing that was so shocking was that three month period where my dad, um, his health rapidly declined around the beginning of the year in 2019. And I spent a lot of time in Colombia trying to navigate the medical system there and trying to, to help. And he um, it was it was a really brutal way to see him. He had to have a leg amputated because of the diabetes and he wasn't taking care of himself. He could, he kept thinking he was in LA when he was in Columbia. He was just so, I mean, the, the dementia was, um, was really hard. And then when he died in, in April, my mom had had, it's such a long story. At that point, she had um, gone through a couple of health things back to back. Uh, she had a brain hemorrhage and recovered from that and then was bitten by a mosquito that had West Nile virus. And that had her completely um, paralyzed. And that is when I became her full-time caregiver. And so I was kind of taking care of my dad in Colombia, going there, taking care of my mom full-time, just going back and forth between them. But my mom had seemed like she was starting to get better and my dad was declining. And then right after my dad died, my mom was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And it was, and it was just shocking because it was the third just unbelievable thing to happen to her in the span of a few months. Um, and there's no research on this, but we think that there has to be some kind of tie to the West Nile virus because there's no history of cancer. I don't know. It just seemed, it, and it was so aggressive and so abnormal, but um, it was really shocking. It was really hard to get past not being able to believe what was happening. I constantly felt like um, I'd have this image of, myself having been in a car accident and having all these shards of glass in me and people kept asking me questions. I didn't know how to answer because I couldn't believe that I'd just been in a car accident. And that's how I felt all the time. I just like, I could not believe what was happening. I couldn't process it. It didn't make any sense. And I, I just didn't understand how so many terrible things could happen to the same family in such a short amount of time. It just, it felt outrageous or something. It just, it didn't, it felt so 
unbelievably unjust. Um, and I wonder if maybe some of that injustice is part of the reason I gravitated towards becoming a lawyer, um, some kind of like being able to exert some justice in some sense, because it just felt so unjust. And I still struggle with that. It just feels so unfair that I have had so many horrible things happen to me. And like, and, and of course, so many people in the world throughout all of time have had horrible things happen to them. But it just, it felt very personal in that time. It felt like I was being targeted by the universe. It was just so um, shocking. I think that the biggest word for all of it with, you know, it's so convoluted. It was just so, so shocking. Well, in that experience of just trying to get through that, you know, I'm imagining you flying back and forth from Columbia to California and like taking phone calls and navigating medical systems and all these things that just require like the next step, the next step. And there's no time or space to reflect really on like, what, what does this actually mean for me in my life? Yes, exactly. Um, I often feel very isolated and like um, not a lot of people can understand, but I was surprised by a friend who um, had never, you know, had both her parents and hadn't been through anything like this, but she said something, she was talking about how I haven't even had a chance to process the traumatic experience of being my mom's caregiver and having to, you know, give her her medication and change her diapers and feed her with a spoon because she couldn't even lift up her body. That was extremely, I, I like our roles were really reversed. It felt very much like how my mom would have taken care of me when I was born. It was like doing that with her. And it was just terrible because she was, I mean, she's dying. My friend was like, you haven't even had a chance to process that much less the death of your, of much less her death, much less the death of my father, much less like all of these other things. It's like, there has been no time to process any of it because all of it happened so fast and so back to back. And that was kind of helpful to realize. So as you're caregiving for your parents, and especially for your mom, you're just like doing the next thing as we talked about, like just surviving the next thing. And then your parents die and you and your sisters are left having to take on more things to do. You're suddenly fully responsible for their financial matters. And your parents have died, the trauma of having been the caregiver. And now there's something like really logistical you need to take care of and wondering what that was like for you. Yeah, it was very much a situation um, that kind of I felt throughout the time that they were sick is you need to pull yourself together. It was very much like you, you do not have the luxury of collapsing because there are things that have to get done and there is nobody else that can do them but you. I can't collapse. I can't break down. I can't, um, I mean, I can in, in brief moments, but I always have to get it together because somebody needs to give my mom her medication. Somebody needs to do this. And when it came to finances, it was like, there is no one else. Like you are the only person that can do this with me and my sisters. And at that point, like my sisters were both um, married and one of them had kids and they had, um, not the, ma the married part doesn't make a difference, but one of them had kids and um, both of them were in the middle of their careers and had their, they were both professors, had already taken a significant amount of time off of work to help with my parents. But everything at the end of the day fell to me because 
wasn't, I didn't have kids. I didn't have, I wasn't in a job at the time. I had left the Peace Corps to come home and take care of my mom. And so I didn't, that was what I was doing all the time. And so nobody knew everything as well as I did. I knew all about the finances. I knew exactly what bills my mom had. I knew how much she had. I knew how, like, I was the person with that information. And so all that responsibility, even though they tried, they did help me um, a lot. Um, most of that fell to me um, with with her care and with the finances. Um, and so it was hard because with your grief, you have such a hard time. Or, I mean, before even grieving right at that point, they were still alive, but I was in shock um, trying to manage that. And then once they died, um, it was dealing with the grief and planning the funeral and selling the house and figuring out their accounts and and my dad has a house in Colombia that we still have no idea how to handle. I have no idea how to deal with the real estate over there, especially because nobody buys where he has a house in a rural village in Colombia. Nobody just <laughs> is just buying houses. <laughs> like they, um, so that has, I don't even know what to do with that. Um, and it's not worth very much, but, um, but it's special to me because that's where I would go and spend time with my dad. So it's a, it's a very convoluted matter and it's really hard to navigate something when at that point in my life, you know, being 27, you know, I knew what it was like to have apartments and roommates. I had no idea what it was like to try to sell a house. You know, a lot of times, at least from what I've heard, when one parent dies, there's usually another one that can help with these matters. But when they both die, then, then it's just you. And so that was really hard. When I think about the isolating piece of this and that, you know, folks who are in their mid to late 20s are oftentimes taking on those responsibilities for the first time of buying a house or, you know, you said you're already familiar with renting an apartment, but just like digging a little bit more into financial matters. And they're usually doing it, or hopefully, or possibly not for everybody, doing that with the support of mm -hmm. older family members, parents and caregivers. And here you were doing it for the first time, but kind of in reverse order. You know, it's not a celebratory thing. You're not doing it with the f support of family. It's it as the result of something tragic that has happened and then having to navigate that alone. And I, I just wonder, are there other aspects of being in your late 20s, managing this that just stands out as like unique or um, adding to that isolation? Yeah. I mean, honestly, pretty much everything, like, even just being in school. Um, there's, there's just this, I I've talked about this with my sister. I feel like um, everybody talks about their parents all the time. Um, my graduation, I, I don't even honestly, I don't even want to go to my graduation because I'm going to just be surrounded by everybody with all of their parents. And I'm going to have neither. Um, when I like, I think about like, if I've thought about um, getting married and I'm not going to have either of them. I, I kind of always envisioned that my dad wouldn't be at my wedding just because everything was very estranged with him. But I always thought that my mom would be. So to have neither of them and then with finals, with exams, you know, even just little things. Sometimes it's the little things that get me the most because they're unexpected and they're just embedded into daily life. But um, when we would have like when we're studying for finals, everyone that I know in some way brings up their parents. Their parents live nearby and dropped off a bunch of groceries or their parents cooked for them because, you know, they don't have time during exams or they go home for the holidays and they're so tired from having taken exams and their parents just like, you know, do their laundry and, and take care of them for that week and they get to feel really taken care of. Like there is nobody taking care of me. There is nobody that I can call when I 
other than my partner, which is just different. Um, there's no one that I can call when I just finished my exams. When I had an interview and it went really well and I got the job, the first person that I would have wanted to call was my mom and I couldn't. It's just every every little thing and especially being a student, um, so many of these small and big milestones that are shared with your parents who are the people that will be the proudest of you because they that this is what they hoped for you. Um, I don't get to share that at all. In fact, my parents never even knew that I started law school. By the time that they died, I had left the Peace Corps to, to try to help and they felt, or my mom felt, um, had really struggled with feeling like I had put my life on pause to help her and I but honestly I didn't even really know what I wanted to do at that point so it's always been a source of sadness for me that she never saw that I was able to that I'm going to do something that I feel is meaningful with my life and large you know almost entirely because of her and I will never be able to share that with her and thinking to what you said earlier about how your mom dropped out of medical school to move to the U.S. with your dad and then and now you're kind of fulfilling not the same dream, but a little bit different dream of going to law school. Yeah, that's um, that that has always been. Both of my sisters, uh, they're like my sister has a PhD in psychology, and she became a psychologist. And my other sister, um, she has her master's, and she um, teaches genetics, and went for molecular biology and they both because my mom emphasized education so much for us and part of the reason that she I mean the biggest reason that she stayed in the U.S. is because there are so many opportunities for us here uh, back in Columbia the fact that she dropped out of medical school and my dad um, you know never even went to junior high like never went to middle school there weren't going to be many opportunities for us there but um, here I mean with all of its problems there was a, there was an opportunity for mobility and so um, she wanted to, and we did that and she really, we, I mean, we all worked so hard for it, but um, it, it's something that while she got to see that with my sisters, she didn't get to see that culmination with me. I know that she, you know, believed in me, but it's, it's always just difficult when like um, the person that I want to share with the most and the person that is the reason that I did it. And um, I just, yeah, just can't tell her the way that, you know, my sisters could. And there is that difference with, you know, my sisters got, because they're just so much old, older than me, they got, you know, a decade more time with my mom than I do, which is not a great way to look at it, but I can't help but feel that way sometimes. And such a common thread, I think, for folks in your age range, you know, that we hear in the groups for young adults of being like, well, you got 35 years with your parents, or you got 45 years or 65 years, and I only got 18 or 20 or 22. And, you know, I'm wondering what, what kind of support you know, looking back in those first few months and well, weeks and months after your parents died, what kind of support did you most need? Um, yeah, you know what I what I most needed right after they died, I really just needed for the world to stop, <laughs> which in a strange way, the pandemic happened not very long after. And I mean, obviously, that was a extremely difficult time um, for everyone, and of course, so many people have died, have died, and have had to suffer so much through it. So I, I hesitate to say this. I just meant that for for me, with having everything kind of stop, 
it was a bit easier in a strange way because I didn't have to get invited to weddings. Weddings I didn't realize would be really hard. I went to a wedding shortly after like a couple months and um, I just, I, I started sobbing because the, the parents do these speeches and talk. And I was like, oh, this is, this is not good. This is terrible. I, I this was a mistake. Um, and I realized, I was like, God, I don't want to go to any more weddings. I don't want to go to all these things where people are happy. I just don't, I don't want to see life going on. I, I, I would feel angry when I would drive home and like the, the street lights were still working. I was like, how dare you? Like everything should stop because my world is, feels over. My sun has left my solar system. There is, it's just dark and I needed everything to be dark and things weren't. Um, so with the pandemic, it was strangely, um, very, uh, soothing because, um, misery loves company. And I realized that also um, my compassion felt new levels too. Now, now when I would hear about somebody dying, um, I would often really feel it. And I would feel it for how that family felt and how that loss felt for them because I could really acutely understand now. But um, I think just like having everything be slow. I don't know if this was the healthiest thing for me to do because I needed to, um, I'd been go, go, go throughout the time that my parents were sick because I just constantly had things to do. And once they died, I didn't have a job. My part, like my partner at the time and I had broken up. I had been living with my mom because I was taking care of her. So I basically had nothing. Once they died, I didn't have a place to live. I didn't have a job. I didn't have my partner anymore. And I had this huge vacuum of time. And it, and so I was like, I'm just going to study for the LSAT. And so I was studying for like 10 hours, 12 hours a day. And it really destroyed, it really took up my time. And so it was nice to escape from the world. Um, and so I just studied all day. And then um, I did, I did, I just did a very difficult thing for a long time. And then the pandemic happened and it was very soothed by, the, by just everything stopping. Um, and I, I realized that once, I took the LSAT and I was done with the test. I got extremely, I, I went into an extreme depression um, because I didn't have anything taking up my time and distracting me. So for like three or four days, I just couldn't even get out of bed because I, I didn't have something that I had to do. That had been kind of the common theme throughout all of it is I have to, I have to do this. What um, eventually shifted that? Once I really had to sit with it and I didn't, I think it was just, it was so much that I couldn't, I couldn't even get near it. And so I kept trying to just keep occupying myself. And once I really had to, to sit with it, I realized that there was no running away from it. It's always going to be here. And so I just started trying to, I would kind of do something where I would feel the excruciating pain and just in private, like just allow myself to, to feel it and to kind of feel it tearing away at me for as long as I could. And then I would, I would say, okay, that's enough for today. And I would have some tea or I would watch something really stupid or just relax. And it almost felt like it's like going on a run or doing or a yoga or do, I don't know. It felt like every day I was going to, I didn't want to keep putting it off like I had in the past and then have it all debilitate me um, all at once. I was kind of like every day I will uh, I have to deal with this every day. So every day I'm going to allow a time to really, really cry. Every day I would have a time where I would cry, maybe for an hour or two and just 
sit in that. And then I would feel like I have, I have done a bit today. And so I will do something soothing after. And I kept doing that until it wasn't so terrifying. And it was, I realized that this is just a part of me now. And so um, I do find myself trying to, to distract myself. Um, law school presents ample opportunity to like <laughs> do that and overwhelm yourself with work. Um, and I do notice that the times when I neglect to really sit and, and feel that pain and acknowledge that pain and respect it and sit with it, when I don't do that, it catches up with me later and I start to feel um, I start to feel it building up in me. And I just feel like it's something that needs to be constantly acknowledged. Um, And not like it's like an obligation. That's why I was talking like running because my, I try to think about how my grief is a result of the um, unending love that I have. And because of that, it's, it's, um, it's not something that needs to be feared or, or hated or run away from. It's something that is like, not everything in life is, good and beautiful it can be good and painful and so it's like it's painful but it's because of what it means I was laughing a little to myself when you mentioned the yoga and the running because as you were talking I was like yeah it's like you had to start doing grief workouts you know you have to like schedule time and build up these emotional muscles to um, feel like you had the capacity to acknowledge and feel some of that pain, even in small, you know, 30 minutes a day. Um, And that, you know, sometimes we might start working out and it feels like such a a burden and like, we have to do this. And then we start to see how it's helping. And we might turn to it out of, well, what's the right word? If I'm using this as an analogy for grief, we're not like waking up excited (laughs) to have our grief workout, but we start to notice like, oh, this is a way of not only honoring the pain, but to honor the love and the relationship that created this grief. That's exactly it. That's yes. That's a really, I like, <laughs> I like this analogy we put together. Um, but that, once you recognize that it's not this debilitating, horrible thing, um, it's like with working out, like it's not really, it's not fun when you first started out, but the, but what it does for your life in general. And that's, it's the same. It's like, this is um, something that I want to honor and integrate into my life. And it gets easier once it's not something that you keep running away from. And, and, you know, we're in November of 2021. So, you know, a few months away from reaching that three year mark of your parents' deaths and wondering, you know, in this moment, what's currently helping you with your grief? Yeah. What has helped me is I met someone at school who she was just a friend of a friend and we would have these nights where we have like four um, female students and we just get together and talk about anything but school and just it's been hard to get to know people for obvious reasons (laughs) the past couple years so we're trying to get to know each other and we kind of do these deep dives into our past and I'm sure this is a common thing but it feels with meeting new people that it's such, this is the most important thing about my life is the fact that, that I lost my parents. It's the biggest thing that's ever happened to me. And you can't know me until you know that because I, I mean, it forms everything about me now, but at the same time, I also, it's because it's such an important and delicate thing. I don't want to just talk about it. I don't want, and I don't, people's reactions are just so hit or miss. And 
I just wasn't, I haven't been sure how to approach that, especially with the pandemic and meeting new people at school. It's like, I'm in a new state and then nobody knows about anything that happened to me, which can simultaneously be a relief and also feel really lonely. Um, and so this girl, um, I met her and she, um, she seemed great. Like she seemed really nice and stuff. I just didn't know her that well. And then we were, it was my turn to do a deep dive on my past. And I was like, I don't know how to do this. And, um, especially this girl, I had just met her and I was like, sorry, this is going to be really heavy. And then I started talking about my parents and then she told me that her mom had passed away when she was 20. It felt so wonderful to have someone in person, which is, it's just been such a long time in person that had gone through something like that. Unlike everyone else, I felt like that I had met at school who had, haven't had anything like that. That really helped me. And so I've been talking to her and she, her mom at this point died eight years ago. She has like, a, you know, some years more experience with it than I do. And I will, I've told her on, for instance, Day of the Dead, Dia de los Muertos, I've tried to do something to, for like a ritual for my parents to try to honor them and connect with them. But even though I try to make it this like beautiful and spiritual thing, I felt really angry, especially last time that I have to do this. I don't want to have to do some seance to try to communicate with my parents when everybody else can just text them or just go see them. It just like, it just made me really angry. And I was talking about that anger and that I didn't feel connected to them. It, it didn't amount to what, it wasn't some beautiful thing. If anything, I felt so stupid sitting there with my candles outside, like by the river. And it was not what I wanted it to be. Her response was that completely makes sense. She was like, I Death, like the anger, the not feeling connected, like, and she, she almost, she was like laughing, but not in a bad way. She was laughing because it was just, it just made so much sense. That helped me so much. And um, it was an unexpected thing to meet somebody new in person that I could talk to about this. I wasn't expecting to find that. I guess I thought that I would kind of have to carry this alone, especially with the pandemic making us also isolated. So um, yeah, just having someone that I can commiserate with. Um, and it really brought home the fact that um, I want to, I, I, I've had such crazy times with my schedule, but I really want to prioritize finding community and going back to my grief group um, that I haven't gone to in so long, because I think it's absence in my life has made things difficult, like we're talking about with having to integrate grief in like, like an exercise, like every day. Um, I've like, I've noticed that not having people to commiserate with has been affecting me. It makes me feel very alone. Yeah, you're ready to go to group exercise class and not run by yourself with this all the time. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, Jessica, I really appreciate I know how busy you are with law school and everything else going on. So I'm just really grateful for you taking the time to talk with me today and to help our listeners out there who maybe have had both of their parents die or were suddenly, you know, shouldering so much of the financial responsibility after someone in their life died, like helping them feel less alone by being able to hear uh, your experience. So really, really grateful for your time today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, I feel really honored to be able to be a part of this. And I know when I've listened to episodes and um, when I've been seeking to hear someone that has had a similar experience to me, that this has been a really helpful resource. So yeah, I'm very honored that I could be a part of it. So thank you for having me. 
And listeners out there, I say it each and every time, thank you for being part of our community, for making the show mean what it does. If you are struck by a particular episode, please feel free to share that with friends or family or community. You can also reach out to me directly at griefoutloud at dougie.org. That's D-O-U-G-Y dot O-R-G. That's also our website where you can find out more about our local programming as well as downloadable tip sheets, activity sheets, and all of our past episodes of Grief Out Loud. And thanks again to Inroads Credit Union for sponsoring this series on grief and money. Visit inroadscu.org to learn more. So thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time.